Well, good morning, church. It is a real privilege to open up scripture today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Lawrence and I'm part of the eldership here at Christchurch Baptist Church. This morning, we're continuing in our series that Chris introduced to us last week, Holy Spirit, Person, Presence, Power. And do you remember what Chris taught us? That the Holy Spirit can be known and that he teaches us about the deep things of God that the Holy Spirit lives in us, and that we can ask for more of his presence, that the Holy Spirit empowers and emboldens us for acts of ministry and witness. And do you remember that really significant point, that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus? Well, it's my hope that as we spend time in God's word today, the Holy Spirit will indeed glorify Jesus. We're thinking about the Holy Spirit in new life. And to guide our thinking, we're going to dig into John's gospel. And we're going to look at one particular encounter that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. Now, the book of John is a fantastic book. It's fascinating and it's so much more than just a random collection of stories about Jesus, even though that would be a great book in its own right. But this book has been put together in such a way that it emphasizes certain ideas uh, or certain themes. And the point of this book is actually found at the end of the book in chapter 20, verse 31, where the author states that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So we start at the end this morning, making sure that we've got the right glasses on, we've got the right lenses through which to look at these stories. Because indeed, this story that we're looking at is written so that we may have life. We've looked at the end, so we probably should look at the beginning. And the book of John opens with this poem-like introduction that echoes the creation story. It's got a familiar vibe to it, hasn't it? Do you remember Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, empty, and darkness, remember that word, was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What a picture is painted there. And let's compare that to the one in John 1. It says this, in the beginning was the word, and that's Jesus. The word was with God and was God, so distinct yet one. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is creation. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. It's an important image and it's not to be downplayed. This is not that Jesus was alive. This is that Jesus is life. And then John tells us something else important about Jesus, the word. And he does this with another important image. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John here uses the word tabernacle to point to the the tent, the place of meeting where the presence of God hovered over the Ark of the Covenant with such intensity of glory. And I don't know about you, if you were writing a book about Jesus, could you have written a more attention-grabbing introduction than that? John is literally saying, sit up, pay attention. Jesus is a big deal when it comes to life. He's God in the flesh. Well, if that's how the book ends and how the book begins, we probably should have a look at how it all hangs together then. 
Well, the first part of the book of John is about the miraculous signs of Jesus. And as these miraculous signs increase, so do the controversies that surround him. And the book hinges on this big miraculous sign. It's like a a crescendo where Jesus brings Lazarus out of the grave. It's a story about life. And in this quiet that falls after this story, it all starts to move towards the cross. The pattern of the stories in this section are the same. That Jesus performs a sign or makes a claim about himself and then people have to make a choice. And indeed, we have to make a choice. Is Jesus who he appears to be? And the story of Nicodemus is actually found in a collection of four stories where John is challenging Jewish institutions. He's pointing to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of these institutions. So we have a wedding where Jesus turns water into wine, um, and it's a sign that points to the generosity of God's kingdom. We then find Jesus at the temple, and he's turning over tables because it's a place where heaven and earth are meant to meet, and yet it doesn't. And it points to a sign that it's actually now in Jesus that heaven and earth meet. And then we have the story about Nicodemus that we're going to look at in a moment. And it's a story about a rabbi who thinks Jesus is a teacher like himself, and yet Jesus makes the point that Israel needs more than a new mind, it needs a new heart, a new life, an invitation to experience the kingdom of God by being born again. And then the section of these four stories close out with the woman at the well. It's a sacred place, a holy place, and here we have someone who's not holy. And when Jesus speaks to this lady, he speaks to her, taking on the image of being water, the spring of eternal life, and offers it to her. Do you see how these stories glorify Jesus? Do you see the direction of travel, the movement towards the cross, that there are images and themes that are already starting to crop up that we need to take uh, a careful attention of? Water, new life, light, all pointing to who Jesus is. And when we read this particular story about Nicodemus, that is the point, that new life is found in Jesus. And we need to hold on to that truth as we dig into this text a little bit more. And so I guess we simply pray this morning, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate scripture? Would you point to Jesus and glorify him as we study your word now and as we seek to apply it to our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's read together John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a great teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
So the start of this story is very interesting because it's a story about a man, but it's not just a story about a man, it's a story about people. Nicodemus is not only an observer, he's a representative and he's representing leaders and ministers and teachers and maybe today he could just be representing even some of us. We know about the Pharisees, don't we? The teachers of the law, we know from the other interactions in the gospel that Jesus had with them. They were always trying to cast Jesus out. And do you remember how he spoke of them in Matthew 23 and particularly verse 27? It doesn't pull any punches. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Ouch. Let's flash back to something that Chris said last week about the work of the Holy Spirit. And there had been difficulties within church history where people had elevated themselves because perhaps they were focusing on a particular gift and not the giver of the gift. You know, there's a problem when there's lots of activity that can look like ministry, sound like ministry and feel like ministry. But if, if it's not connected to the source of ministry, it's whitewashed. If the activity does not glorify Jesus, then it's not the Holy Spirit. It's whitewashed. And we're going to see with Nicodemus that that is the case here. And what is more interesting about this story is that Nicodemus, supposedly this righteous Pharisee, comes at night to speak to Jesus. Yet straight after, we can compare that with a story where an unrighteous Samaritan woman comes to speak to Jesus in the day. Surely we would have expected it the other way around, but it's not. And it's not because it's telling us something about Nicodemus. Under the cover of darkness, Nicodemus asked Jesus some questions. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you're doing if they were not from him. Uh, or how, how can anyone be born again when they're old or just over into verse 9? He says, how can this be? Nicodemus is asking searching questions. He's in a place of spiritual darkness. And who's he speaking to? Remember from John 1? He's speaking to the light of all mankind. And so there's a very simple truth here this morning that you simply cannot see in the dark without a light. And remember when Jesus is speaking to the crowd in John 12, he says, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. And while you have the light before darkness overtakes you, whoever walks in darkness does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. That's the work of Christ, isn't it? And Paul writes in Ephesians 5 verse 8, he says, For you you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. And again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, he says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake. 
The deal is, if we want to be awake to the activity of the Holy Spirit, if you want to see the activity of the Holy Spirit, then we must be connected to the light of Christ. If you want to see, it's not eat carrots, it's be connected. So let's look a little bit more at the responses from Jesus and see how he illuminates, how he brings light to this situation. So Nicodemus, his first question, acknowledges Jesus as rabbi. It demonstrates respect and presents as if he's giving Jesus the benefit of the doubt. He says, Rabbi, we know. So there's a sense in which this man uh, who comes at night is representing another group of people. He's a spokesperson or maybe he's drawn the short straw. But what is fascinating is that Jesus doesn't want to play this game. And he pivots from the question and he answers with a spiritual truth. So instead of getting into a theological debate about the validity of his activity, he offers Nicodemus an opportunity to step towards the light by talking about relationship with God. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, he says. Jesus is making a point that it's not about how closely the law has been kept by Nicodemus. It's about the state of his relationship with the author of the law. And so here's another truth this morning, that it's not about answers, it's about faith. It's not about having the answers to the questions, it's about having a living relationship with God. It's about faith. And it's that relationship that is meant to be so transformational that Jesus describes it as being born again. It's so complete, so holistic. It's not a Christian bit tagged on at the end, it's the renewal of the whole person. And without having this experience of new life, an individual simply cannot appreciate the work of the Holy Spirit as the activity of God, simply because they do not have eyes to see. One commentator wrote uh, this, that divine activity is ambiguous without divine aid. Don't believe me? Just look at how Nicodemus responded in verse 4. It has a sarcastic and cynical tone to it, doesn't it? Nicodemus, being outside of the kingdom, being in spiritual darkness, simply cannot understand the deeper truths that Jesus is speaking about. And Jesus responds and says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. He's clarifying it for Nicodemus. He's trying to make it simple for him to understand. And he should do because this pair of water and spirit are so often representative of the life-giving gift of God that we read time and again in scripture. And indeed, Nicodemus as a Pharisee would have read about that. I mean, just listen to this from the prophet Ezekiel to Israel. It says in Ezekiel uh, chapter 36, verse 25, it says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. And here's another truth for us this morning. If we try and imitate a Christian life without the Spirit of God, it will be hard work. But when we let God's Spirit work in us, he moves us towards the people he's calling us to be. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
And the whole of that chapter 5 talks about becoming more like Christ, taking on his characteristics because of the work of the Spirit within us. Listen, we can't fake it till we make it. We can only accept it as a gift from the Holy Spirit as he works in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all are being transformed into the, his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Friends, it's helpful to remind ourselves that it's not our work, it's the spirit's work that makes us more like Jesus. And then there's one final point before I wrap up what I'm saying this morning. Jesus in verse 8 says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. It's a great use of language here because the word for spirit and wind are the same. And it paints a picture of the incredible power of the Holy Spirit. You have to only think of the contrast between a refreshing breeze on a, of a light wind. Uh, compare that to a powerful gale of a raging storm. And we need to be under no illusion that we can in any way harness, tame or control or contain the Holy Spirit. He can be as gentle as a dove, like on the day of Jesus' baptism, or he can be like a violent wind, like on the day of Pentecost when the apostles were gathered together. Do you know the Holy Spirit is not some sort of fruit machine where we put a prayer in, pull a lever and get out and experience. The Holy Spirit is God and is to be honoured, respected, treated with the reverence that he deserves. Because the one who hovered over the water in the beginning hovers over your life as the word Jesus declares behold I'm making everything new you know when I think about how refreshing it is to sit in a breeze on a hot day I'm reminded that it's the Holy Spirit that refreshes and renews our lives and maybe today for you that might be your prayer that the Holy Spirit would gently refresh and renew you or maybe this morning you want to be swept up in more of the activity of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the image that comes to mind is, you know, a child maybe with the excitement of seeing a, a storm and the untamable nature going on around. And maybe it was just me because I might have been one of those kids. But when I was a lot younger and a lot lighter, I would undo my coat in a storm and hold my coat out like a sail, hoping, hoping to be kind of caught up and swept up for no other reason that it was so powerful and exhilarating. And maybe your prayer this morning might be that the Holy Spirit would sweep you up as he goes about glorifying Jesus. And so maybe your prayer this morning would be that you're ready, that you're waiting. And I wonder when we think about the, the insight that Jesus gives to the way the Holy Spirit works in these verses in verse 8, whether we might just appreciate the awesome nature of God the Holy Spirit, to be swept up in that. How exhilarating. You know, Nicodemus really did bite off more than he could chew when he tried to play games with Jesus. But Nicodemus, being a man in spiritual darkness, we can sometimes identify with that, can't we? That we too can find ourselves in spiritual darkness. And if that sounds perhaps like you, then today Jesus' invitation is really clear. Step towards the light and receive new life. 
you're invited to see differently, to see yourself as God sees you, to let him cleanse you with water and put his spirit in you so that you can have new life. And we would say life in all of its fullness. So the Holy Spirit and new life. It's about stepping out of the darkness into the light. It's about new creation, whole, sufficient, complete. It's about the Spirit of God who cannot be contained. Institutions can't hold him. Patterns and practices cannot define him. Indeed, you'll struggle to understand him if you're not connected to the light of Christ. But connected to that light, the source of life, in simple relationship, you can lean in and allow yourself to be carried by the Holy Spirit to the places where he's active because the Spirit goes where he wants to go. You won't be able to tell where he's come from or where he's going to, but it's an exhilarating adventure that you're being invited to. And we, start where we, we end where we started because we know that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may have life in his name. Let's pray together. Father God, we worship you this morning. We acknowledge you as Lord and King. And as we look at the activity of your spirit in our lives, we simply say thank you. We thank you for the invitation to step towards the light of Christ, to have our lives illuminated by him, by his gift of sacrifice on the cross and raising to life again, inviting us into full relationship with the Father. We thank you, God. And for some of us, Father, we are praying today that your Holy Spirit would come and refresh us, that you would renew us, you would energize us in the days that lie ahead. And for some of us, Holy Spirit, we say we're ready to be swept up by you, to glorify Jesus as you go about your work. Use us, we say. And so, Father, we honor you this morning. We bless you and praise you, and we thank you for the gift of new life that is in Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we've just got some time now where we can be still in the presence of the Holy Spirit as he ministers to us. May God bless you.